Today we're actually going to be talking about worship, and we're going to be talking about why worship is so critical, why it's, it's so monumental. Uh, music is powerful. You know, I, I've always liked the, the Oxford uh, Dictionary definition of, of what music is, that music is a combination of sounds with a view to beauty of form and the expression of emotion. Now, it's easy to kind of, you know, be stressful. I know getting the kids out of the house, or maybe it's just you had a late night last night doing a double shift or something. I know getting out of the house, sometimes making it on time for the worship part of the service can be difficult. And maybe some people feel like, oh, you know, what's the point? I I don't really get all the music bit about it. But I can just tell you from my own life that the reason why God calls us to worship is because worship is a way to intercept your temperamental emotions with eternal truth. I don't know if you've ever been in that spot where you're feeling awful, where you're feeling terrible, and, and you come into a worship service, you're like, I do not feel like singing. I don't feel like getting my weird slow dance on with Jesus. I'm not going to be lifting my hands. Like, I don't want anything to do with this. But then you choose to do it by faith. You choose to sing out those lyrics. You choose to, to you know, as, as the, the truths that are put up on the screen, as, as those thoughts that are displayed up there. And, and you choose to not follow your feelings, but to follow your faith. And you choose to sing those words out. I can't tell you how many times my temperamental emotions have been intercepted by eternal truth. And that when I sing out by faith, I find out that my feelings change. Because emotions, they make a great caboose, but they make a terrible engine. But if you start following your faith, you start singing those truths out, you find out that your emotions come on board. They come online. They change. Has anybody had that experience? It's amazing the way worship, the way singing out, the way music can change your perspective. It can change your entire mentality. Worship is powerful. Music is powerful. But I've titled my message today, The Song That Never Ends. The Song That Never Ends. You may have that song in your head, embedded in your brain. It comes to us from the great theologian, Land Chop Sing Along. <laughs> All right, this is the song that never, will you sing it with me? It goes on and on, my friends. Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was. Terrible, right? It's going to be embedded in your brain for the rest of the day. Well, some people, when they think about worship, they think of it kind of like that. Like, like I know some people who actually have this caricature in their mind that heaven is going to be a lot like Lamb Chop Sing Along. And heaven's just going to be like, man, let's cue up that bridge one more time, everybody. Let's just sing it one more time, all into eternity. Just singing forever on the celestial shore. Like, that sounds more like hell than heaven to me. <laughs> just singing one infinite worship service. That's why you don't invite the, the worship leader to the, to the bonfire. Because that guy breaks out the acoustic guitar. Just, like, feels like, oh, come on, everybody. It's time to get real spiritual. Sing the chorus one more time. Well, obviously, uh, I'm joking here. Obviously, I'm kind of kidding around. But worship, it goes a lot deeper than a song. And I want to tell you that even when the worship song ends, worship does not end. And that whether you realize it or not, you are worshiping all week long. You may have walked into this ballroom. You may 
consider yourself an atheist. And, and if you do, I'm stoked that you're here. We love you. You're welcome here. This is a place you can belong before you believe or behave. This is a place where when you have questions, where you have doubts, where you have skepticism, we'd love to engage with you, love to be your friend. We're not just, you know, here trying to be cheap. But, but maybe you walked in here as an atheist and you think, I don't worship. I don't worship anything. No, 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 no. Every atheist on the planet, every uh, person on the planet, regardless of what they say, everybody is worshiping. Everybody's worshiping every day, every hour, every minute, every second with your time, with your thoughts, with your energy. There is no such thing as not worshiping. There is no such thing as not worshiping. You never stop worshiping. But the question is, what are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? Well, today I'm going to invite you to change your tune. I'm going to invite you to change your song because there's a song you're singing. It never ends. But the question is, what song are you singing? And I want to invite you to start singing a song that can be sung under any circumstance I want to invite you to sing a song that can be sung out no matter what suffering you're facing, a song that lasts longer than death, a song that's more powerful than the grave. I want to invite you to sing a song that anyone can sing. I want to invite you to sing a song that everyone can sing. I want to invite you to sing a song that the whole universe has been singing and will be singing forever and ever and ever. I want to invite you to change your tune and start singing the song that never ends. Would you look with me in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 to 26. It says there, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I'm the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the farthest corners who dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Got to give you a little context on this text. Comes to us from the Old Testament. That means before Jesus, okay, before Jesus walked the earth, this was a prophet, this dude named Jeremiah, and he was coming as God's ambassador, preaching to God's chosen people who were meant to be the people of salvation, the people who came, God spoke to Abraham, he said, in your descendants, in your descendant, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That Israel was meant to be this different people, this holy people, this set-apart people who had a specific purpose to fulfill, to bring God's blessing to all the world. But like we always talk about, Israel, what had happened was over and over again, they had turned inward with entitlement, 
instead of turning outward with excitement. And they, even though they said with their lips that they worshipped the one true God over and over and over again, they found themselves worshipping other things. And they turned their back on God and God turned them back. And they turned their back on God and God turned them back. And they turned their back on God and God turned them back. Till finally a day came where judgment had to fall. And what Jeremiah is telling them here is he's telling them the Lord's speaking and he's saying, hey, hey, don't glory in your power. That's not going to save you from judgment. Don't glory in your wisdom. That's not going to save you. The Babylonians are still going to march in here no matter how smart you think you are. Don't glory in your riches. It doesn't matter how rich you are. You can't bribe them off. Judgment is coming. Judgment is going to fall. Don't glory. Don't sing the song about your wealth. Don't sing the song about your power. Don't sing the song about how wise you are. Judgment is going to fall. And so there they were. They were singing a worship song about their power. They were singing a worship song about their wisdom. They were singing a worship song about their riches. They were even singing songs about their religion and how they were circumcised, and that made them so they were going to be safe, and nobody was going to judge them. Why? Because they were the chosen people. They were different. They were circumcised. They were good and religious. They had that outward religion when inwardly they worshipped all these other things. Well, here's where it comes and finds application to us. They were trusting in all these things to save them from death. But we trust all these things to satisfy us in life. They were trusting in these things to save them from death, but you and I, living in 2016, we trust in these exact same things to satisfy us in life. First thought we're going to extract from this is that what you look to for worth is what you really worship. What you look to for worth is what you really worship. See, worship doesn't really have so much to do with what you sing on the Sunday morning or the way you even bow down in a synagogue or a temple or a mosque or what you say about yourself theologically. It's what you look to to make life worth living. That's what you worship. Whatever it is you feel like, I couldn't, life would not be worth living without this. That is what you worth, worship. The, uh, the, the, the actually old English word for worship, where we get the word worship from, comes from the word worth-ship. Worth-ship. Whatever you think is worthy and whatever you think gives your life worth, that is what you worship. And it's not just Christians and theologians who've recognized this. It's, a, it's secular people who've recognized this. Maybe when I said that a moment ago about you being an atheist and that you worship things, maybe you're like, I don't, I don't agree with that. Well, maybe you'd agree with David Foster Wallace. I've shared this quote before, but David Foster Wallace is one of the most uh, popular postmodern authors. He uh, wrote the book Infinite Jest. It's, it's still on NCAP displays at Powell's. It's one of the most uh, popular pieces of literature of modern times. He wrote the book The Pale King. But David Foster Wallace had a commencement speech for a class of, gradu- of graduates at uh, Kenyon University said this, There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some so- sort of God or spiritual thing is that pretty much anything else you worship 
will eat you alive. You worship money and things, and if that's where you tap your real meaning from life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body, beauty, sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when the time comes and age starts showing and you get wrinkles, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. If you worship power, you will always feel weak and afraid. You will never and ever, you will ever and ever need more power to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect and being seen as smart and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Look, the insidious things about all these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It's that they're unconscious. There are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that's what you're doing. See, everybody worships. Everybody looks to something to find worth, to find meaning, to find value. But the Bible goes a step further than David Foster Wallace, and it says that we owe God worship, that we owe God glory. Well, why should we worship God? Why why do we owe him that? Why do we have to give God the glory and rise and shine, you know, and whatever else? Why do we need to do that? Well, why do we hate knockoffs? Why do we hate frauds? Why do we hate imitators? Dun 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 Yo, VIP. Why do we hate vanilla ice? Because he doesn't give credit where credit's due. Right? That's why we hate vanilla ice, because he he stole it. He didn't write that song. Freddie Mercury wrote that song. David Bowie wrote that song. Vanilla Ice, man, he is under pressure. He's stealing that. He's taking that. He's ripping that off. Ain't giving credit where credit is due. Why do we learn in our college courses that plagiarism is such a serious crime? See, Tim Keller puts it like this. He says that pride is spiritual plagiarism. It's pretending that you can take credit for yourself all by yourself when really you didn't do anything all by yourself. That you're a self-made when in reality every single one of us is God-made. I can stand up here and I can act like I'm, I'm all that and I got everything together and I put my life together. But at the end of the day, everything that you and I are as creatures is contingent. And so to not give God glory, to take pride, to act like you got that all together, that's spiritual plagiarism. And we hate it when somebody else is the show off. I mean, and this text just nails us, doesn't it? It's all the things that we tend to take glory in. It's all the things that we, we look to for worth. All the things that we try to make ourselves feel important, make, us, make ourselves feel secure, make ourselves feel valuable, make, make it feel like we're entitled. It's all those things. I mean, we know about the stacked dude at the gym who's like, I just want to work on myself while I look at myself. And then I'll post a selfie of myself. I'll get, I'll get real yoga. And it's like, really? You, you, you just look like you have tumors all over your body is what's really going on here. That's very disturbing. I mean, I mean, he talks about riches. Isn't that what, what, what everybody, you know, the guy, the 1%, all bougie. It's like, how was your week? 
Well, it was, it was all right. You know, I just picked up another Mercedes, but I got a really good deal on it. It was fantastic. Uh, or the brainiac, the teacher's pet who looks to their intellect, looks to how smart they are, who know the show off, knows all the answers, always ready to cut you down to size and show you how unintelligent you are. It nails us with all the things we look to for worth. You know what verse I love that anytime I'm feeling proud, anytime I'm feeling arrogant, anytime I'm feeling like showing off, you know what verse always puts me in my place. I love it so much. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. For what makes you differ from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if indeed you received it, why do you brag about it as if you'd not received it? See, you can't brag about a gift. You can't boast about something that was given to you. You may think, well, I didn't receive nothing. I don't take handouts. I pulled myself up from my bootstraps. I'm a self-made person. I came from nothing, and now I'm here. You know, I started from the block, now I'm here, right? (laughs) Maybe that's how you see yourself. Maybe that's how you look at yourself. You know, that's exactly what uh, Belshazzar thought when God spoke to him through Daniel, where he said this, You've praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and snow, which do not see, hear, or know, but the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all of your ways, you have not glorified. See, the self-made person who thinks, oh, you know, I didn't get anything from anybody. I, I, I didn't receive nothing from nobody. I built my own life. I built my own persona. I built my own destiny. Here's the deal. You didn't choose what DNA composition you would have. You didn't choose what family you'd be born into. You didn't choose what early childhood experiences you would have that would craft what you would look like. You didn't choose what century you'd be born into. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. You started this this Fortune 500 company. That wouldn't have worked out so well if you were born in the 10th century and you got the bubonic plague. (laughs) See, everything you have is something you received. And so to not give God the glory is spiritual plagiarism. It's to take credit for something you yourself cannot take credit for. Everything we are is contingent. So what you look to for worth is what you really worship. But if you worship the wrong things, you will never be enough. If you worship the wrong things, you will never be enough. See, I want to teach you to sing a song that circumstance can't silence. Because if you worship something that's dependent upon circumstances like wealth, you worship something that's contingent upon circumstances like how attractive you are, how beautiful you are, how muscular you are, how much you can bench. It just takes one disease, man. You're not going to be benching anything. It just takes one economic downturn and everything's over. It it just takes one little bit of circumstances and all of a sudden your song is silenced. You've got nothing to sing. You've got nothing worth living for. I like what Jim Carrey said at the Golden Globes. It was hilarious. You should watch the speech because it was, it was so ironic, so funny when he said it. I won't be able to do it justice. But Jim Carrey says, you know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. 
I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to sleep to get some much-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I'm not just some guy dreaming. I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to dream about being three-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. Because then, when I'm three-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey, I know I'll be enough. I'll finally be true. The search could stop. This terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. It reminds me of something else Jim Carrey said. One of his famous quotes, he says, I wish that everybody could be rich and famous and have their dreams come true so they could see it's not the answer. I wish everybody could be rich and famous, have their dreams come true so they could see it's not the answer. See, it's not that Jim Carrey doesn't have fun. It's not that getting rich and becoming famous and going from a trailer park to being one of the most well-known comedians of all time who's I mean, Ace Ventura, he's, he's everlasting, right? He's just, he's, he's, he's made it. It's not that it's not fun, because having sex and sleeping around and getting rich and being beautiful and being attractive and blowing up on Instagram and, and all the things that we crave and going viral on YouTube and becoming, you know, famous and, and all these things, it's not that it won't be fun. It'll be ridiculously fun. It'll be insanely fun. But when you come to the end of it, it'll be hollow. And it won't be enough. And it'll never be enough. See, if you worship other things, you don't worship God. You worship lesser things. You settle for anything less than God himself. It's always going to end up not being quite enough. The other day I was sitting in Porquino, all right? Anybody like Porquino? You wait like 13 hours in line for tacos. Amazing. You said talking about things not being enough, right? I was sitting there in my poor cano, and, and, and I start hearing over, over like the speaker system, like, suicidal, suicidal. I'm like, I finally lost it. I finally snapped. What is happening? You know? But I keep listening, and it turns out it's a Sean Kingston song that's on the airwaves called Beautiful Girls. He says this, you're way too beautiful, girl. That's why it'll never work. You'll have me suicidal, suicidal. You'll have me suicidal, suicidal. When you say it's over, dang, all those beautiful girls, they won't want you dirt. They'll have you suicidal, suicidal when they say it's over. What do people look to for worth? What do they look to for value? If I was just with that girl, if I was just with that guy, then I'd have worth. Then I'd be enough. Then I'd feel like I'm enough. Here's the thing. If you build your life on things that can be taken away, it's just a matter of time till you're tempted to take your own life. If you build your life on things that can be taken away, it's just a matter of time till you're tempted to take your own life. And that's where we find ourselves. Without you, life wouldn't be worth living. See, if you're singing that song about, about that guy, about that girl, about that money, about that experience, about that pleasure, it's just a matter of time till you're singing the other song. It's just a matter of time till you're singing Sean Kingston's song, till you're feeling like nothing, feeling worthless, feeling like life's pointless, feeling like you are not enough. But there's more in this text. And that's that what makes you worthy will make others worthless. 
what makes you worthy will make others worthless. I think of the song, we are the champions, right? We, is that two queen references in one message? I'm going to get fired. Somebody's going to fire me. Don't tell my board. No, I'm just kidding. We are the champions. But, but, but if you get to that place where you get to sing about being a champion, what's the next verse? What's the next thing you say? There's, there's no time for losers. There's no time for losers. When you craft your own identity, when you build your identity, whether it's pleasure or power or success or fame or fashion or anything else, immediately when you begin to look to that for worth, other people around you automatically become worthless. You think, I don't want to be seen with them. See, when you live your life to look good, you can't love people who are bad. When you live your life to look good, you can't, oh man, that, that, that guy, he dresses like that. She, she looks like this. I'm not, I don't want nothing to do with you. I don't want anything to do with you. And then we complain about racism and we complain about how the world's divided and we complain about how our nation's polarized. But meanwhile, we're worshiping things that all they do is polarize us. We're worshiping things that all they do is make other people worthless. We're, look, we're worshiping, we're looking to things, looking to build ourselves up just so we can look down on other people. But the gospel, it changes everything. See, when the gospel is your identity, it changes everything. Because the gospel is a song that anyone can sing. It's a song that everyone can sing. It's a song that, that doesn't matter who you are, how bad you've been, how wrong you've dressed, how, 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 how much money you have in your bank account. It doesn't matter where you come from, what background you've got, how many followers you have, how successful you've been. It's a song that anyone can sing. There's a sociologist, you've never heard of him, but the way he thinks has influenced the way all of us think. And he's a sociologist uh, named Zygmunt Bauman, and he says this, we boister our identity by seeing others in a negative light and by excluding them in some way. I can only feel that I'm good by looking at someone else and calling them bad. I can only feel like I'm worth something if I can look at them and say, at least I'm not like them. That's how all of our identity is crafted. That's how, how everything's built. You go, well, I don't, I don't dress like that, or I don't vote like that, or I don't think like that. And want to know the absolute worst place that this happens? want to know the worst place, worse than anywhere else on the earth, is in religious places. Because what does this text say? Put, put, if you put the end of the verses up there on the screen, verse 24 and 25, he talks about the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Because when your identity is built on how religious you are, and your identity is built on how right you think, and how right you are, and how you always do what's right, and how you always please God, and, and how you were, you were born in the right family, and born in the right religion, you followed the right tradition since you were little, what do you immediately do? You start looking at everybody else, they're dirty. They're unclean. Don't come near me. Unclean, unclean. You uncircumcised Philistine. <laughs> We start looking at everybody else because they don't pray the right way and they don't have the right doctrine and they're not a part of the right faith and, and you boister yourself up. And that's what everybody does. And so what does our culture do? Our culture flips to the other extreme and we say, you know what? Then we'll just break down every boundary. 
we'll just, we'll just say that nothing is unorthodox, that there's no morality, that there's nothing right, there's nothing wrong, and that if you say that there is, you're intolerant, and, and, and we're going to be inclusive, and we're going to include everyone, we're going to include everybody, we're going to break down all boundaries, and that's what Zygmunt Bauman said, that we divide the world up into binaries, us and them. So what has the postmodern era done? The postmodern era has decided there are no boundaries. Male, female, doesn't even exist. Nothing exists. There's no boundaries. But here's the deal. Here's where they fell by their own prey. That, that, that blade cuts the same way. Because what happens, you create a new binary where you say, we're the enlightened ones. We're the sophisticated ones. We're the inclusive ones. We're the tolerant ones. And we're not like those conservatives. And we're not like those people over there, all judgmental. And we're not like them. We're not like them. And you're caught in the exact same mess you got away from. So what do you do? What do we do? I'll tell you what we do. We do Romans chapter 3. That's what we do. Everybody read this with me. For there is no difference. For there is no difference. Everybody say it with me one more time. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, if you're saved by what you do, there's always someone to look down on who's done less than you. And if you're saved by what you know, the accuracy of your doctrine, oh, I'm a Calvinist, and I've got this, oh, no, I'm an Armenian, and I have this perfect theological thing, and oh, me over here, and I'm a missional church, and we're a missional church, we're not attractional like them, and that's what saves us, that's what justifies us, that's what makes us the right guys. Hey, I'm not saved by what I know. I'm saved by who I know. And when you know him, you know he wants to save everyone. That nobody's better than anyone else. That we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That we're all sinners. The most inclusive thing you can possibly believe is that everyone's a sinner, including you. That is the most... That is the most inclusive thing you can possibly believe. It's the most egalitarian thing you can possibly believe. Why? Because salvation's by grace. It's a gift, and it's a gift that's available to anyone. Whoever, whosoever wills may come. That, that anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. That the spirit and the bride, they say, come. Let whoever wills say, come. That, that whoever believes, they would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's for anyone. It's for everyone. It's a song that you can sing. It's a song you your neighbor can sing. It's a song your friend can sing. It's a song everyone can sing. And it's the only way to ditch the binaries. It's the only way to quit dividing up the world because for there is no difference. That's why he takes the rest of Romans and he talks about, oh, this group's circumcised, they're uncircumcised. No, there's no difference. There's no difference. All right, final thought. We shut this thing down. We bring it in for a landing. It's that when worship is right, there is delight. When worship is right, there is delight. If we could put the beginning of Jeremiah back up there, we could put that back up on the screen. He says this. He says, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That I'm the Lord exercising loving kindness, 
judgment and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight. The word glory can be translated to revel. To revel in something, just to enjoy it to the max, to, to, to suck the marrow out of it, to, to drink every last drop, to really praise it, to delight in it, to just, just drink it down to the dregs. C.S. Lewis, we'll put it on the screen for you, said this, God's commandment to glorify him is an invitation to enjoy him. God's commandment to glorify him is an invitation to enjoy him. See, I don't obey God because I have to. I obey God because I want to. And the more you get this gospel of grace and you see, oh my gosh, he's a good God. He's exercising loving kindness. He's exercising judgment. He's righteous. He knows what he's doing. He, He knows what's up. You don't put up with God. You put your faith in God. You don't tolerate him. You trust him. You don't follow him out of duty. You follow him out of delight. You know him. See, if you don't want to obey God's commands here today and you're like, I don't want to listen to God. I just want to do whatever I want. I just want to. The reason why you don't want to obey God, the reason why you don't want to keep his commands is because you don't know his character. The more you know his character, the more you want to keep his commands. The more that, the more that he becomes your delight, he becomes your joy, he becomes the thing that, that you just can't have enough of. Why? Because he's the giver of everything. He's the giver of every good gift. He's the giver of everything that's great, of everything that's glorious. Yeah, and when you get to this place where God is your greatest joy, you can enjoy things without being controlled by things. You can have things without being had by things. You can possess power without abusing power. You can have wisdom without having to prove how wise you are. See, and this is so different than what what Buddhism teaches or what uh, the Greeks even taught. Because what do they teach? They teach detachment. That you need to just detach from everything. You need to detach from all desire. Don't want anything. Don't want pleasure. Don't want money. Detach. Detachment. De- eventually become detached from the circle of reincarnation. All this. But, but, but the Bible says that we can enjoy this world because this world is a gift. And that the answer to all the world's problems isn't detachment. It's actually desire. That you wouldn't love things less. You'd love God more. And that the more you love the giver, the more you're actually going to love the gifts right. The more you're going to use them well. The more you're going to use them for others. You see, this world is a gift. And when I love God, I love his world. But how do we get to this spot where we love the giver more than the gifts? How do we get to a place where we love God more than we love things? How do we get to a place where we glory in the Lord rather than glorying in power or pleasure or riches or wealth or sex or religion or how spiritual we are or how much we serve? How do we get to that spot? How do we love the giver more than the gift? I'll tell you how there's one way. When you see that the giver didn't just give good things, that the giver gave himself. You know, you can get a $150,000 fine and up to 10 years in prison for copyright infringement. 
$150,000 fine or 10 years in prison for plagiarism. But what if you got that fine? What if you got that prison sentence and the author you'd been plagiarizing, the music you'd been copying, the director you'd been cheating, what if that very director, that very author came and he said this, I'm going to pay your fine. I'm going to pay your sentence. I'm, gonna, I, I'm not just going to waive the fine because then that'll be all hell will break loose, but I'm going to pay that fine myself. That's the gospel. Therein lies the gospel. That's Jesus, that when we'd ripped him off, he came and paid our fines, that he took our shame so we could share his glory, that he took our judgment so we could have fulfillment. You know, there's a song that we're going to sing forever and ever and ever. It's in Revelation 5. The song we're going to be singing, the joy, the delight that we're going to discover is we're going to sing this song. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. You see, that's a song you can sing in any circumstance. That's a song that will at last death. That's a song that goes on forever because the giver gave his life for us who we'd worshiped gifts and ripped him off. He came and died in our place. He died the death that you deserve. And then I know what that tells you. It tells you you have worth. You have infinite worth. You have infinite value. There's no cost that wouldn't be paid. There's no price that he would spare no expense to tell you that you're loved, to tell you that you're worthy, and you don't have to look to all these other things for value. Look to all these other things for worth. That's a song we can sing forever. Would you stand to your feet and sing it right now? Let's sing this out together. <laughs>